Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. You're listening to the Alter Perform Show, the show about performing your best in business and life, formerly the Ultra Life Show. Today, we have a very special guest. Ronnie Daniel, he's the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association in the Utah chapter. He's been in this position nearly four years, and he and his staff work to provide care and support for all people affected by Alzheimer's and their caregivers. And I've talked to Ronnie myself a few times here and there over the past few months to talk to him about our documentary we're doing, about my father and my mother and uh, that experience I've been having. And that's called Taking Them Home. Um, and we're finally getting a good chance to talk, so we get to talk for like another half hour, Ronnie. Yeah, it's good to have you. Good to have you on the show, Adam. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I was like, hey, we finally get to connect, <laughs> you know, for a long <laughs> period of time. That's right. So, Ronnie, uh, tell us a little bit about why you do this. I know we were talking, you know, before the show, but maybe you could share with everyone why do you do this for people, for yourself, and for the Alzheimer's Association? Well, it's, it's interesting. I've worked in nonprofits my whole career for over 30 years now, and so I've always been sort of a person who latches onto a cause. Um, but this one's very personal to me. Um, the Alzheimer's Association, is, as you mentioned, is all about providing care and support for people with this disease. And when I first started working for the Alzheimer's Association about four years ago. I didn't know that I had a personal connection. But as I've uh, done a little bit of family research, I've discovered that I had a great uncle, my, my grandfather's brother, who died from Alzheimer's disease. And then as I got to know a little bit more about the disease, I, I know that my, my grandfather um, had the disease as well. Uh, while he was never diagnosed, I know enough about the symptoms now to, to know that he uh, most likely had the disease. And so I also had an a aunt uh, this last summer who passed away from dementia. And so it's, it's getting very personal now. As I mentioned to you earlier, I have uh, aging parents. They're both in their late 70s, and I'm starting to see a few of the signs of Alzheimer's in them. And so I get worried about my parents. And because of that genetic uh, connection, I am worried about myself. I want to make sure I don't have to deal with this. And and uh, I don't have to put my wife through dealing with this, uh, and nor do I want my kids to have to worry about this disease. So I, I really am committed to the, uh, the vision of the Alzheimer's Association, which is a world without Alzheimer's. We really are an organization striving to advance the science and the research to try to find a way to cure this disease. Well, that's great, Ronnie. When you say, uh, you know, I mean, it's very personal to me, this, the show, obviously, a lot of our viewers or uh, people on Facebook have heard me talk about my dad and uh, what we've been dealing with. But when you say they pass away from Alzheimer's, how do you pass away from Alzheimer's? 
So the, the uh, pathology of this disease starts out by a buildup of beta amyloid plaque. It's a protein that builds up in the brain and it begins to destroy the neurotransmissions in the brain. So if you think about dementia as an umbrella, underneath that umbrella are all different types of dementia. Uh, there's Alzheimer's, there's vascular dementia, there's frontal temporal dementia. Um, even Parkinson's disease falls underneath that umbrella. And so Alzheimer's disease happens to account for about 80% of all the different types of dementia. And so this beta amyloid plaque builds up and it begins to impact different areas of the brain. And so if the buildup starts in the memory centers, which is most often associated with Alzheimer's disease, then it's, uh, it's, it's generally diagnosed as Alzheimer's disease dementia. If it starts in the memory in the uh, frontal temporal regions, then it, it will most likely be diagnosed as the as frontal temporal. And so, the uh, as that buildup begins and, and begins to destroy neurotransmissions in the memory centers for Alzheimer's disease, you start to lose your short-term memory first, and then it impacts your long-term memory. But then that that buildup begins to just spread throughout the brain, and it actually begins to shut down parts of your body. And so. A lot of people, um, particularly 10 or 15, 20 years ago, may have had Alzheimer's disease, but on their death certificate, it actually indicated they died from uh, you know, respiratory failure or heart failure because the disease had actually shut down those parts of the body. But in reality, it was the Alzheimer's disease that was the actual cause of death. And so, so that's what happens with, with Alzheimer's disease is it, it actually just deteriorates your brain to the point that it begins to shut your body down. And, and so a lot of different reasons why people will die, but it's all brought on because of the disease. Would be one way. Now I've I've seen this with my father where he, uh, I guess his body forgot how to swallow and then he recovered from it. Um, yeah. And I, I saw, you know, the experience I had was he had to go to the hospital. He was more confused, you know, basically triggered an onslaught and then he forgot how to swallow. He had a feed tube once he balanced out, basically, what do they call it, uh, main line or uh, what is it they call it? Their main line where their some days are extreme, but some uh, there's baseline. That's what it's called. Oh, baseline, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he got back to his baseline, everything started working, and I was clear from watching and seeing what was happening that this is what they're talking about, what happened. Would there, right. from my experience, since the subconscious basically runs that, uh, you know, your breathing, all those bodily functions, is it basically also attacking your subconscious then and shutting those ability to, to function that way down? Yeah, so it actually, as it progresses through the brain, goes into the hypothalamus that controls all those auditory functions, like breathing and swallowing, things you don't ever have to think about. And so... Um, it does end up eventually uh, damaging that part of the brain as well. And so all of those normal functions that our body does without us thinking about it are affected and, and eventually destroyed as well. Hmm. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough to disease. You know, that's, that's probably the hardest part about this job and working for the Alzheimer's Association is we meet so many incredibly wonderful people who are suffering from Alzheimer's disease and it's hard to watch them as as their body deteriorates uh, through this disease. There's 
One, one, just a beautiful lady that I got to know um, four years ago when I first started here, and she's just a brilliant woman. She has two PhDs. She was a director of uh, major hospitals in Chicago and Canada, all across the, the world, just a very brilliant. And then uh, about five years ago, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And so uh, when I met her first, she was just in the early stages, and she was just having little memory issues. But now four years later... She's lost the ability to, to speak in, in most ways, and, you know, she, I, when she sees me, I see in her eyes, she kind of knows who I am, but she can't vocalize my name any longer, and it's just so hard to see, as you, I'm sure you saw with your father, you're seeing with your father, as, as that disease progresses, it just, it's, it, we, we like to refer to Alzheimer's disease as the disease that takes your loved one twice because you lose them as their memories go and their body deteriorates, and then eventually you lose them um, through death with the, the actual disease. Yeah. yeah, I can see that because you uh, you have to kind of let go how they were during the whole process, you know. So exactly. I saw my dad today. I went to see him in the doctor's office, and I saw him yesterday. So when I say this, I'm not saying I'm seeing him dead, but you kind of have to like mourn it. You know, I've, I've tried to explain it to friends or people close to me, and you have to kind of you're mourning all the time. Right. I'm like, Dad, don't you remember you taught me about this, or yeah, you taught me this, or you're at, you know, I have to explain them where he is again, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a constant, and then he calls me all the time for for support, basically, because he's confused on where he's at or what's going on or something. So every day, and I didn't realize it until speaking to you right now. Every day, I have to mourn it, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And you know, one of the one of the pieces of advice that we often give families like you, whether in the circumstances. You know, you, and you mentioned that you can. It's no longer the same relationship we had with your dad uh, before the disease, and and we really give people the advice to to live within the reality of your loved one, because they are no longer able to function in your reality, and so if you try to force them back into your, your reality, it's going to be frustrating for both of you, and uh, and so it's easier for you to, you know, you have the ability to to live in their reality and and uh, help you know, do the things that they, they are capable of than to try to pull them and force them back into your reality um, because it just can't, it just doesn't happen for them. <laughs> True. And I and I get that, but sometimes I have to just because uh, their reality is not going to work out, right? You know, yeah, no, that's no, true. Yeah. Not do that. So, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of strategies that we help folks to, you know, learn how to dis, uh, misdirect their attention, you know, to... Especially, you know, as you probably see with your dad, he gets obsessive about certain things and and yep. uh, won't let it go, you know. And so you have to kind of redirect them and, and get them focused on something else so that they will let their, their obsession go that they're dealing with. Yep, exactly. And you have to retrain yourself of how to deal with uh, them because you've been dealing with them in a completely different way. Now, yeah. uh, tell us a little bit. You want to go over some uh, statistics and some uh, different things that uh, you, uh, some facts and figures about Alzheimer's. Maybe you could share us a yeah. little bit about that. So I'm not, it's not so personal what I'm, I'm dealing with. Sure. 
So a lot of people don't realize how prevalent uh, Alzheimer's disease is. Um, you know, there's over 5 million people currently in the United States who are living with Alzheimer's disease. And every year, up, upwards to 700,000 people pass away with the disease. And so it's, it's fairly prevalent. At age 65, one in 10 people will have Alzheimer's disease. At age 85, it increases to one in three. And so think about the people who you know that are in that age category, and you can pretty well get an idea of how many people are living with this disease, whether they're you know, exhibiting you know, all the, all the uh, telltale symptoms of the disease currently or not, they may have it. And, and so you want to watch for those, those things so you can help them. Um, also, you know, it's important to realize that women are twice as likely to have Alzheimer's disease as men. And so well, that, um, that makes sense. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, we're not quite sure why that is. You know, I, I jokingly say, uh, you know, that my my wife uh, says that the reason why that is is because women use their brains more than men and they wear out faster. I don't. There's no yeah, no scientific evidence to that, but um, but it's you know it's it's uh, it's really sad. You know, because women are not only more affected by getting the disease, but also you know, more than uh, 65% of caregivers are women as well, and so they're more impacted on the caregiving side. And and sometimes that's as much of a, a challenge as having the disease itself. We know that 40% of uh, people who are caring for a, a Alzheimer's patient um, report symptoms of depression, and then stress level is high for most people. And so uh, statistically, about 36% of people who are caring or someone else end up passing away before the person they're caring for because of the stress and the fact that they often don't take care of their own health while they're caring for someone else. So it's just a big challenge that, that we see um, throughout, uh, throughout this uh, you know, process of Alzheimer's disease. And, and the challenge is, is that we're going to see you know, this disease continue to increase just simply because of the baby boomer population. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, 15,000 people every day in the United States turn age 65. And so, you know, you, you apply that statistic uh, uh, that I mentioned earlier, that's 1,500 people every day are um, going to come down with Alzheimer's disease. And so wow. it's just, you're going to see it more and more every day as that baby boomer generation continues to advance. You know, here in Utah, um we have about 30,000 people living with Alzheimer's currently in the state. That represents 10% of our senior population. And uh, we're going to see about a 57% increase in that just between now and the year 2025. So just in eight years, we're going to see significant increase in that, again, because of the number of seniors that we will we'll have moving to those generations. Um, so it, it's... Uh, yeah, pretty significant when you think about it in, in that regard. And Alzheimer's disease is the most expensive disease in in our nation right now. Um, it's going to cost about two hundred and fifty nine billion dollars. That's billion with a B this year wow. to care for people with Alzheimer's disease. And and the bigger challenge of that is that uh, about sixty eight percent of that cost is paid for by Medicare and Medicaid. So it's paid for through taxpayer dollars. Um, we're, we, we anticipate if nothing changes, if we don't find a way to slow down this disease by the year 2050, the number of people living with this disease is going to, co- going to triple and costs are going to quadruple to over 
a trillion dollars annually, and that's just you know really going to be unsustainable for our country. So that's another reason why we're so anxiously engaged in trying to find a way to slow this disease down or cure it altogether. Well, what have you, uh, you know, I know some of it's believed or some some of it's just tests or studies right now. We don't have a firm answer on some of it. But what causes Alzheimer's disease in that realm of the question? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the most common um, uh, belief from our scientists, scientific community is that the, it's this buildup of beta amyloid plaque or this protein in the brain that's the, the cause or the underlying uh, cause of the disease. And so there's a number of uh, phase three drug trials right now that are looking at how can you stop the buildup of amyloid or beta amyloid plaque or how can you deplete it if it is buildup in the brain. And so the fact that they're in phase three trials means that they've already undergone you know, five to 10 years of, of trials and now they're just in that final stage with a large population to see if we can find a way to uh, to come up with a you know a, a, some type of a drug or you know a medical solution to this. Um, but on the other side, there there are studies that have been ha- been going on in, in Scandinavia and even some here in the United States that have you know longitudinal studies that have indicated some things that we know we can do to reduce our risk of getting Alzheimer's or dementia. And so those those things really boil down to four key elements. The first is to eat a heart-healthy diet. So making sure we're eating things that are making our, our heart healthy because the heart and the brain are so closely connected because of the you know amount of blood that our, you know, over 25% of the blood our heart pumps goes to the brain. And so if your heart is healthy, your brain's going to be healthy. So eating a heart-healthy diet and, and right alongside of that is, is exercising uh, regularly to keep your heart healthy. Um, those two things can help you reduce your risk for Alzheimer's disease tremendously. Another thing that you can do is by keeping yourself cognitively stimulated, meaning learning new things on a regular basis. Um, and it's not just about doing the crossword puzzle or Sudoku, it's about learning new skills or learning new hobbies, uh, learning a language or learning things that you didn't know before. By, by doing that, it helps to build the neurotransmission network in your brain to keep your brain stronger and more healthy. And then finally, another really important thing is by being socially engaged. Um, don't become a hermit in your old age. You know, Get out and meet people, do things together with people because that, again, helps keep you cognitively stimulated and uh, and learning new things about other people so those things are really important there's there's a study that um, has come out recently connecting sleep and uh, Alzheimer's disease so uh, the studies say that if we're not consistently getting um, six to eight hours of sleep on a regular basis that we are our risk for getting um, Alzheimer's disease is increased so those are some things we know we can do to, to uh, reduce our risk. Um, but, and then there's, our, like I mentioned, there's some exciting you know, studies out there that could potentially find that, that uh, magic bullet to find a way to break down that beta amyloid plaque and, and cure this all together. Hmm. Well, that looks great. Um, so what what is a heart-healthy diet? I mean, do you have some examples of that for people that, maybe aren't clear on what is or isn't, or sometimes I've noticed where you think people know, they don't know. 
Yeah, sure. So the, the two diets that we most often recommend are the Mediterranean diet, which, you know, looks at eating, you know, a lot more vegetables and fruits and fish and, you know, uh, high protein, low fat kinds of, pro, you know, kinds of meats. Um, so that's, that's one that's most often recommended. And the other is the DASH diet, which is most often prescribed for people with hypertension or, or heart disease. So again, it's it's you know keeping you know uh, your body fed with with healthy natural kinds of foods. You know certainly we want to avoid fried foods. We want to avoid high cholesterol foods, high uh, you know foods that are high in saturated fats. Um, and you know, I've heard one person describe it: as if you get it through a window, it's probably not heart healthy. Um, and so you know. Doing, you know, cooking your own food on a healthy basis is, is really important to do. Hmm. Um, uh, exercise, what kind of exercise would be good to do? So, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily require you to become a bodybuilder. Um, really just doing consistent, you know, just a, a brisk walk for 30 minutes a day is really all that's necessary to keep your heart healthy. Um, certainly you want to try to incorporate some strength training in there to keep your muscle tone and your muscles strong, but you don't have to become a, you know, Mr. Universe bodybuilder, uh, at all. It's about just doing things and doing things you enjoy, um, are going to help you, um, to be more consistent. So, you know, if you enjoy cycling or you enjoy walking or you enjoy doing the elliptical, you know, whatever that might be, do something you enjoy and do it consistently, do it with other people then you can kill two birds with one stone. You don't get the exercise, but you get the social <laughs> engagement as well. How, you know, so for the caregivers out there, because you mentioned for caregivers also, uh, for years I've been trying to get my dad to exercise, and he just wouldn't. The farthest he'd go is buy machines at uh, garage sales and have them hang around his house and never use them. <laughs> what, are some of, what are some of the ways... To get your parents or your maybe spouse, because I've been to one of your support groups and their spouses, uh-huh. so not just children. But what right. are some of the ways to get your uh, family member to move, to eat right, to like to actually get them to get it and and yeah. take action about their life? What what can you do to do that? What have you seen? You it's tough because, as you said, you know, a lot of these lifestyle things are, are habitual. They're, they're things we've learned from, for decades of, you know, different ways that we eat or whatnot. You know, I, I grew up in Idaho and, you know, kind of on that farmer's diet, you know, put a, you know, show me a potato and I'll show you 20 ways to cook it and eat it, you know. And so um, it, it's it's those lifestyle things we learned that are hard to change. And so, the thing that we most often recommend, as you mentioned, you know, doing this together with your spouse or, or family members is, is doing it together. If you try to force someone to, to eat healthy and the other person's not, then they almost always are going to go back to the unhealthy style. And so doing it together is important. I think, you know, part of it is, you know, it's got to, there's got to be a cognitive reasoning there, you know, and so putting the cause and effect together, helping them realize that, Truly, if you do uh, incorporate these healthy lifestyles, it's going to improve your health overall. You're going to, you know, ward off getting these diseases like heart disease and Alzheimer's disease, um, you know, better than if you eat your unhealthy diet. And so 
Um, you know, and the other side of it is when they start doing it for a, a few days or a few weeks, you feel better. You have more energy. Uh, you have the you know ability to do things that you may not have been able to do. Obviously, you drop a few pounds. Your body's much more capable of uh, doing things as well. And so, I think those are some great motivated motivation tips that you can share with people. That's great. And uh, thank you for sharing it now. Um, yeah. what, just really quick back to the cognitive. What kind of things should people do? Uh, you mentioned you know, so, language. Uh, how in-depth does it have to be for them? It, it's really just learning new things. So, you know, it, it could be as, as much as, you know, grandkids, uh, you know, are learning, you know, new skills in school. So as a grandparent, you know, help your grandkids with their homework. So you're going to have to go back and maybe refresh your memory on a few of those uh, school skills that you may not have used for your, your whole, whole life, but learn those types of skills again or, or help your grandkids in that way. You know, learn, you know, uh, we all are, you know, uh, becoming more um, mobile friendly. And so as you learn how to use your mobile device, that's another thing. You're, you're stimulating those brain cells. You take a, take a class at a community college. It doesn't have to be expensive, you know. Take a class at your local church or your local senior center. Um, they you know, offer new ways to learn things all the time. And so it's just be, being curious, reading, you know, um, pick up a book every now and again, turn the television off and read is a great way to keep yourself stimulated cognitively. Great. Okay. Well, thank you. How about reading the newspaper? Yeah, for sure. You know, keeping up on current events and and then, you know, express those opinions. You know, sometimes we don't want to hear your opinion on uh, political issues or whatnot, but sharing those opinions causes you to have to process the things you're reading and then verbalize it is a good way to keep your your brain stimulated as well. Mm-hmm. Funny, I just did a video about uh, getting tired of the uh, sea of opinion. People are always offering their opinion when you're not asking for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, tell us a little bit about your event that's coming up. So we have, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the research here. So we have a great event coming up this Thursday, October 19th, uh, in Provo. It's going to be at the Provo Marriott from 10 a.m. to 2. And uh, it's our Alzheimer's Research Symposium and Reason to Hope Lunch. And so we have three um, researchers that will be coming to talk about research that's happening. We have um, Dr. Dean Hartley, who is the Alzheimer's Association Director of Scientific Initiatives. And so he's going to talk about a lot of these things that I mentioned in more detail um, that are happening around the country, around the world, really. Um, We also have two local researchers. We have Dr. Kevin Duff from the University of Utah, the Center for Alzheimer's uh, Care, Imaging, and Research. He'll be talking about the PET imaging scanning that... um, that's happening there at the U, and uh, they're one of 16 universities around the country that have been selected to offer this PET imaging scanning. Um, They also are doing some interesting research about the environmental impacts of Alzheimer's disease, and so, you know, the the impact of altitude or the impact of our inversion to see if they are contributing factors to Alzheimer's. Um, Then we also have uh, Dr. Um, John Calway, from Brigham Young University, he is a genetic researcher, and so he's connected. Uh, he's uh, he's actually identified the specific uh, alleles on the chromosome that relate directly to Alzheimer's disease. So he's going to share some of the cutting edge research that he's doing 
from uh, from a genetic perspective. So that's going to be really fascinating. Then during the luncheon, um, we have um, Doctor, we have uh, uh, Val Hale, who is the executive director of Governor Herbert's Office of Economic Development. He's going to talk. He's been in Utah County for a long time. He was the former athletic director at BYU and a vice president at UVU and was the past president of the Utah Valley Chamber of Commerce. And so he's going to talk from his perspective about Alzheimer's and the impact it's had on his family. He's got a personal connection to the disease as well. But, uh, you know, from an economic development perspective, um, Utah is well known for their research in, in, for cancer. Uh, we want to see all, Utah become a, a hub for Alzheimer's research as well. And so Val's going to mention that a little bit in his conversation. So we have Abby Bunnell, who's a radio personality from iHeartRadio, is going to be our MC for the Recent Hope Luncheon. And so the event is actually free of charge. People can register uh, by going to our website at alz.org slash Utah and register for the event. Um, so it's free, but we will be asking at the end of the luncheon for people to consider making a contribution to our cause um, to help us uh, fund the research that we're, we're doing as an organization and to help us provide the ongoing care and support services that our organization has. So when is it again? It's Thursday, October 19th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the uh, Provo Marriott, um, uh, which is right downtown Provo. And so um, people, again, can register by going to our website. It's alz.org slash Utah. And uh, find the link right on our homepage about the Reason to Hope Luncheon and the Alzheimer's Research Symposium, and you can register right online for that. Okay, great. Well, thank you for being on, Ronnie. really appreciate it. I really appreciate all your help. And I'll send you that email I was telling you about our clip for our show, taking a, for the documentary, Taking Them Home. Uh, thanks for being on and please listen to the Alt Perform show tomorrow. We'll have Joe Nelson on. Joe Nelson is a founder and president of Clear Capital Group and is a commercial loan consultant and brokerage firm that specializes in providing business owners, entrepreneurs, and RE investors with alternative financing solutions. So he's going to share something about business and what you can do to uh, fund your business to get business credit. Thank you guys for listening. Remember to check out our sponsor and go to the ultraperformshow.com and go to ultraperform.com for some great natural supplements. See you guys later and see you later, Ronnie. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.